Uh, turn to the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, please, this morning, with me, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Not going to be reading uh, a lot of the chapter or the verses this morning. We're going to be spending, God willing, a few weeks, we're going to be looking at David, Goliath. We're going to be pulling some points from David and from the story, that story of David and Goliath. And this morning, we're going to be looking primarily at David as a young man, a young man who had a heart for the Lord and a young man who built certain things into his life. Certain disciplines that allowed him to go on and serve the Lord in great ways. For all of you, and there's, I guess all of you who went on with the Lord and chose to serve the Lord, you will know that there's many things will come your way. Many things will come to hinder you and cause fear. And 1 Samuel 17, if you even look at verse 24, this is nearly, I suppose, the, the backdrop. It's the context of where we're really going to be reading into this morning. It says this, All the men of Israel, when they saw Goliath, they were afraid and ran away. None of us would like to admit that, but there's times in our life when giants come our way. We very quickly become afraid. We might not just run away, but we certainly turn away. And that's the work of the enemy against the believer, against the church as a whole. And and our title this morning is A Beginner's Guide to Slaying Giants. A beginner's guide to slaying giants. Because for some of us, perhaps many of us, this is only the beginning of a journey of really going on for the Lord, of really saying, I'm going to serve him. And this is a beginner's guide on how we slay them giants that come against us in our life and we seek to hinder us. So in our text, we see that Israel and the Philistines are facing each other. They're ready for battle. There's a a war that's about to take place, and it is already taking place. It's It's in a place called the Valley of Elah. And out from the ranks of the Philistine army comes this giant called Goliath. Now, we read that story and we think, what a great and wonderful story it is. But I encourage you this morning to put yourself there. Have the army uniform upon you. You're standing there in the ranks of the army of Israel. And everybody's waiting to see who's going to go first. Is it going to be a brother Mark? Is it going to be Mr. Finley? Who is it that's going to take the first step? And take down this enemy of God. You see, there was real life fear involved with this move. And here we see this Goliath. He stands there. The scriptures teach us that he's around about nine feet tall. He had all the armor that comes with a warrior of them days. We we are told he has a, a bronze helmet upon his head. His armor weighed around about nine stone. That's nearly my weight, give and take. A bit He had a spear that is likened to a weaver's beam. This was no ordinary man of war. This was a mighty man of war. He's a type of guy that you want by your side, not to be standing against you. And what we read within this story is that Goliath challenged Israel, Saul's army, the people of God. And he mocks them and he defies them. And he says this, send their best fighter. And whoever wins this fight... The losing nation will serve them. In other words, listen, send one of your men. And whoever wins, well then you can either serve us or we will serve you. What a challenge. It brings it down to an individual person. Send your best. And then within this story, it's not the first time that he appears, but he appears now in a significant way. A man, a young man called David, appears on the scene at the battle scene. A young man sent by his father to bring food to his brothers. Who are already at the war. And when, what we see is that when David gets there, 
he's not at all happy with what's going on. Another application is we could turn around and say, when this man of God seen the state of the church, he was not happy. When he seen the people of God and how they were surviving and acting in this world of sin, he was not happy. How they were being treated and the lack of response from the men. What we see in verse 24 is that I already quoted it. We see that all the men of Israel, when they saw this one giant, they were afraid and they ran away. In 26, verse 26, we see that David becomes angry with David's actions. Or sorry, with Goliath's actions. He starts to question things. He starts to ask questions in his, in his own heart. Who, why? Why is this happening? What can I do? Listen to his words. What shall be done to the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For whom is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? But then there's something happens at this very point, and I want you to see this, because this will happen to every man and woman, boy and girl, who says, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to take a stand. You watch this in your own life. David's own brother, Elahab, gets angry with David for coming down and, and making a stir within the camp. You see, when David started asking these questions and making a stir, what he was really doing is he was exposing the weakness of the armies of Israel around him. Did you ever meet somebody like that? They're, they're sold out for Jesus. They're doing things that you know you ought to be doing and it challenges you. And actually, the sooner he leaves your presence, the better, because we can go back to sleep then. And this is what we see is happening here. The people, his brothers, get very angry because David has come down and started to stir the camp. And listen to what they say to David. Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left them few sheep? Notice, notice the words few sheep. They're mocking them. They're playing them down. Them few sheep that you're meant to look after. Who have you left them with? Why are you here? Then he says this to him. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. You've come down just to see the battle. Basically, you've just come down here to be nosy. What good are you? Church, when you take a stand for God, those who should encourage you on will often try and discredit you. That's your first discipleship lesson this morning. If you want to go on to the Lord and on with the Lord, you be careful of that. Be careful of this as you serve the Lord. David didn't let up. He didn't, he didn't allow it to, to stop him. And he began to offer to take this giant down, to silence him. Think of that. Verse 31, if you're following with me, says, When the words of which David was spoke was heard, King Saul sent for him. Verse 32, And David said to Saul, Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and will fight with this Philistine. We pick the rest of our story up. Next week. Within this story, David is often portrayed as a very, very young boy. A young boy who killed this giant, Goliath. And according to many scholars, David indeed was a very young man. But he wasn't that young, but he was old enough to marry. He was old enough to put on at least the armor. He was a young man of God. The, the consensus seems to put him in around 15. It's a very broad one. From 13 to 20 is... Is, 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 is what they're all arguing about. But well, let's just go in the middle. That seems to where everybody's landed. But he certainly was a young man. He was able to carry himself. We know that David had seven older brothers. 
He was the eighth. He was the youngest of his family. And what often happens with being the youngest, it meant that David's role in the family was one of lowliness, to put it politely. In other words, he had to do all the jobs that the older brothers didn't want to do. Ever experienced that in your life? You have to do all the chores around the house because the older people just don't do it. He had all the jobs to do that they didn't want to do. And that's what it meant to be David in his days, to be the youngest in the family. But David was a man who loved God from a young age. It's clear to see he revered God. David, from a young man, he carried a deep conviction to bring honor to God. David was used by God in many ways throughout his life. And his heart is likened to the very heart of God. And I believe we can learn from this man this morning. <clears throat> you know what? You know what David's ministry did? It brought a nation, a nation closer to God. And I want to say to you, Christian, this morning, you have got the ability to bring other people closer to God. And what a privilege it is to have that ministry, to bring people who don't know the Lord, who do know the Lord, and bring them closer to the Lord. That was David's ministry, brought a nation closer to God. And this morning we're going to consider David, and we're going to learn from him. And I'm going to give you some very simple subheadings to help each of us this morning to apply this to our lives. Whether you're saved 60, 70 years, whether you're only newly saved, wherever you are in your journey of faith, we're going to consider this man this morning and learn from him. So listen, guys, if you're taking some notes this morning, this is going to help you. The first thing that I want us to learn about David this morning and apply it to our own hearts is this. We do what God asks us to do. Write that in your heart. Do what God asks you to do. It's quite a simple point, but boy, it's not as simple as it sounds. Do what God asks you to do. And what I found within when I read through these few chapters was that David served in the king's court. In 1 Samuel 16 and 21, it tells us that David, this is before the Goliath story, it tells us that David was an armor bearer for Saul. That means that he was also uh, he worked in the, in the king's court, but he was also a shepherd in his father's farm. What this tells us, church, is that David worked the farm and he held a part-time job in the king's army. David was a worker. He was a man who had a servant heart, but David was a worker. I want to ask you, if you want to get somebody to come and help you in your business, in your farm, are you going to employ a sluggard? Are you going to go and knock on a sluggard's door and offer him a job? And likewise, God needs workers. He needs those who are willing to serve, willing to get up and go and serve him with their life. David's service, his servant heart, servant heart, sorry, is seen in his running an errand for his father. I want you to see this. David is doing a wee lowly task that his father has asked him to do. He's got plenty of other things going on in his life. But this we earned would lead David into the path of greater things. This wee task would lead him into the path of Goliath, the enemy of God's people. And there's a le lesson here for us all and how to slay them giants in our life that stop us in our tracks, to go on and do great things for God. In order to do great things for God, we must be willing to do the little things in ministry. Isn't that interesting? David was faithful in the lowly task of running an errand for his father. This lowly task would lead to greater opportunities for God, an opportunity that would stand him face to face with 
Goliath. Butler's commentary says this, many people of God do not slay any giants because they are not faithful in the lowly service of the Lord. To be great in the kingdom of, 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 of God, Jesus says, must be, one must be willing to serve others and not to be served. First Peter 5 says, you, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. And all of you, it says, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud and he shows favor to the humble. Then it says this, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that God may lift you up in due time. The danger is that men and women try to lift themselves up. But when we humble ourselves in the service of God, he says in due time, in the right season, he will lift us up in place of honor for him. And what I say is this, how God lifted David up in due time. A young man who was disrespected by his brethren, seen as an unlikely future king by his own father. He was a go-get-me person. That's what David was. Get me this. Get me that. What are you doing here? Get away home. That's what David was. But he was a man of God. A man, a young man who was a worker who held two jobs in his shift. Yet we learn that David was a young man who also respected his father. And that's a promise in the, in the Bible. And it also comes with promise, sorry. It's a commandment in the Bible that comes with promise. To have a fruitful long life, those who respect their parents. And I know people who have found it very difficult to respect their parents, but have chosen to forgive and chosen to try and build a relationship. And they will testify that God has blessed them. And they say it's been difficult. It's not always easy to respect our fathers, or indeed our mothers, but here we see a, a young man who did just that. And he did what asked of him as well. We read in verse 20, that David went as Jesse, his father, had commanded him. And then God used him greatly in the slaying of Goliath. See, David did what his father told him, church. And this is exactly how we are to serve God, is it not? To do what the father has asked us to do. A quite a simple thing. Do what the Lord has asked us to do. But yet maybe for many of us this morning, we've maybe stopped obeying. Maybe stopped going or doing what the father has asked us to do. So our first point was do what the, the, what the Father has asked you to do. And the second very simple point is this. Don't put off what the Father has asked you to do. So do what the Father has asked you to do. Don't put off what God has asked you to do. In verse 17 and 18, I see something interesting. David was instructed by his father. It says this, take food to, or, take food to his brothers, to your brothers, and see how they were doing and bring back to me a report. What we see in this is that David's instruction also carried risk. It says in verse 19, David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. And here's the thing. Obedience towards God always involves risk. What have you ever done for God that hasn't involved risk? Nothing. There's not a thing that we can do as an individual or as a church that doesn't involve risk. And David took risks for God. And here's where I want to bring it home. Because there's three traits here that I see. And I've called them simple life lessons that I see in the young David. Or perhaps disciplines. Three disciplines that if applied 
It'll help you and I grow in the Lord and go on in our faith. So our subheadings were do what God has asked you to do. Dump it off what God has asked you to do. Then I want to close with these three simple disciplines that will help you in life as a believer. The first discipline is this. Write it down and look at it every day. Be motivated. Church, can we say it together? Be motivated. Ah, it's not much motivation there. Let's say it again. Be motivated. Oh boy, be motivated. It's very difficult to be motivated sometimes. David was asked by his father. Imagine the Lord speaking to you this morning. David was asked by his father, take thee now the grain. Not take thee the grain whenever it suits you, whenever you feel it's appropriate. Take thee now the grain to thy brethren and run to the camp. I want you to notice at the end of verse 17, the words run to the camp. It doesn't exactly speak of a lazy man's task. Because the lazy man and the lazy woman will not do well in the service of the Lord. Because service needs to be done with a sense of urgency. Run to the camp, Jesse says to your brethren. Complacency has always been a problem in the ministry of the gospel. So too has procrastination. Does anybody suffer with that? Anybody not suffer with that would probably be a more appropriate question. Always putting off the Lord's work until later. I was speaking to one of our elders this week and we were discussing the timing of something. And he came out with this speak and I thought, that, well, that's very appropriate for Sunday. I'm going to use it. I'm not sure if it's his, so I'll not name him. But he said this. Listen, Neely says, there's seven days in the week and someday isn't one of them. Have you ever heard that before? Yes? No? There's only seven days in the week and someday isn't one of them. I thought it was wonderful. So there you go. That was me putting a place. In other words, Neil, stop putting off what we can do sooner rather than later. And this is clearly seen in Jesus' day. In John 4, 35, listen to what Jesus says. Do not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Don't procrastinate. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields for the white to harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. Procrastination is very dangerous in the life of the church. It's very dangerous in life per se, but especially for a child of God. Believer, don't put off what the Lord has laid on your heart. Gathering up fruit in this life is very necessary. Of course it is. But don't forget about the eternal fruit of winning souls and sowing the seeds of the gospel. That's eternal fruit. So don't put off what God has asked you to do. Be motivated. Then the second discipline is this. Have courage. That's easy said. But when everybody's standing against you and all your close associates are asking you what you're doing, why are you down here? It's pride in your heart. You're just doing this for yourself. When all that's going on around you and many other things that would stop you going on for the Lord, I'm telling you this, taking courage is difficult. It'll be challenging for you. And that's no, uh, no, not just you personal, it's to every character that I see within the scriptures and including the young man of God here, David. Have courage to go on for the Lord. David was told to go and run to the camp. He was then told where the camp was. Here's the detail. He wasn't just told to go, he was told specifically where to go. He was told to go to the place called the Valley of Elah. And this valley, church, is a place of war. 
It's not a place of comfort. It's not a place where you're going to get your, pat, your, your back padded. You're not going to get chocolate buns and teas handy the way we do here in church every week. This is a place of war, war, a place of difficulty. And David was told to go to the Valley of Elah. And, and this is a place where the enemy resides because ministry is a war and it's a war for souls. It's a war for truth. And the battle for souls and the battle for truth will always lead us to the valley of hardship. Make no mistake about it. It's here in these valleys that we tend to get wounded. It's here in these valley experiences that the desire to retreat becomes its strongest within us. We want to step back. It appears to me that in reading books of those who have served the Lord with their lives, who went on before us, they've all wrestled with the desire to quit. One man even said, a great man used of God, not only did I desire to quit, I desired to quit and have an easy life. How often has we felt like that? Just to have the easy life, to do the mundane, everyday things without the, without the challenge, without the battle, the wrestle. You see, every man and woman who's ever did anything for God has always wrestled with this desire to quit, the desire to stop. It takes courage. To be a giant slayer, the church must resist this urge to retreat from the Lord's work. I want you to notice the fight against the enemy of God in our text. The men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Man, I want to encourage you specifically this morning. Don't step back. If there's ever a time when our nation needs men to be men, it's now men. Do you agree? Women, do you agree? I wonder. Men, have courage. Trust who you are. Don't listen to what they say, what other people say, or what you say about yourself. You're mighty in God. You're a role model to you're not only your family, but society itself and the church and in the workplace. Man, what a challenge. And here we see, yes, the men were afraid, but they were in the battleground and they were fighting. They were fighting against the enemy of God. And David's call to service, what we see here, is going to take him to the valley. And make no mistake about it, it would take courage for David to enter this camp, the Valley of Elah. And church, it's going to take courage for you to do what God has asked of you to do. Whatever God is pressing in your heart to do, it's going to require courage in your part. It's individually in your part. The enemy will try and cause you to retreat, to give up the fight for truth and for souls. If you didn't realize it was a fight for truth, open your eyes today. Truth is a real fight. Truth has never been so obscure. In fact, truth has never been so much challenged today. What is truth anymore? And the enemy, the Satan's tool, the best tool that he has in his toolbox is fear. You know what fear does? Well, it stops men from coming to Christ and being saved. If you're not saved this morning, the chances is it's fear in your part. Fear of what other people will say. 
fear that you'll not be able to keep it. And all these other fears will enter your mind. So that's his first tool, fear to stop men coming to Christ. Then the same tool stops men from following Christ. And going on in the work of the ministry. Well, I can't do that. Who says you can't do that? Who says that you can't help and be part of the work? Are, are, am, I, am I any greater than you? Or are you any greater than I? Or who is it in this room that we think that we've got different categories of levels of people? We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. Trying our best to find God in it all and groping our way through, doing our bit for Jesus. I can go into the trade and know exactly what I'm doing and do it the best you've ever seen. And so can you. In the work of the ministry, walk by faith. We don't always know what we're doing, by the way. We just sense the leading of God. We line it up with the word of God and we go for it. You see, we don't have it all worked out. And neither do you. So don't come into service thinking you need it all worked out. Just come. Because fear is a tool that will keep you from following Christ. What about this bit of fear? There's no fear like the fear of failure. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Fear of failure. The main reason many don't answer the call or give up the call is because of the fear of failure. The enemy is smart. The Bible tells us as much. It also tells us that he's very predictable because he uses our past failures, our discouragements, to stop us in doing the work of the Lord. I want to show you something this morning. And for the sake of time, you don't need to turn to it. But if you're taking notes, by all means do so. But I want you to listen to, to me this morning. I want to bring you through a prophecy very quickly this morning. Isaiah 54. And in this prophecy, you're going to see part of your own heart. Part of your own thinking. Part of your own insecurity. Part of your own expectation of your own life, actually. And we read about a prophecy of the future glory of Israel and specifically speaking about the end of age when God is going to restore Israel he's going to make her beautiful again not yet but it's a prophecy and the word in it speaks about Israel's past failures and it's, this, it's, it's as if her past is stopping her from believing that she has a future now get that it's as if her past is stopping her from having a future her past failures especially a future that brings any glory to God. And I love how it begins to speak to a people, a people that have made lots of mistakes. Have you made lots of mistakes this morning? Well, listen, this is maybe for you this morning. And this is how it starts off. Sing, O barn woman. Do you notice it's not condemning, cutting, a mirror showing all your faults. It's a, it's a call to sing. Single born woman, you who have never bore a child, burst into song and shout for joy. You know what I believe this is speaking about? It's speaking about a nation that sort of seen new birth. This nation was called to bring the gospel, to bring a light to the nations and to see people come to faith. It didn't see any new birth. That's why she's born. She didn't see any new birth. And here we see a prophecy of God saying, listen, it's okay, single born woman. You haven't been faithful to me. You haven't led other people in faith, but be faithful and burst into song and shout for joy. And then it says this, enlarge your place of your tent. Stretch out your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back. You know what God's saying here? I'm going to bless you more than you know. Oh, you're broken. You have done many, many wrong things, but I am going to bless you more than you know. And what I see here is that we see a people who are afraid of these promises. You know why they're afraid of these promises? Because they have failed so many times in the past. 
and they simply can't imagine better times ahead in their life. And God says this in verse 4 of that prophecy. Don't be afraid, or you'll not be put to shame. Then it says this, do not fear disgrace. Or listen, I, let me put it this way, do not fear failure. Because failure brings disgrace. And, and God's saying over the people, don't you fear of the fear of failure. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth. And this is it, you see, your, your past mistakes, church, aren't going to stop you I'm going to stop God, sorry, from restoring your brokenness and making something beautiful out of his church. He's saying, I will use you to show the world my goodness, but you must have courage and take me at my word. There's a difficulty. And it's in this prophecy we read these words, and you'll know this. We hear it often at the prayer meeting. No weapon forged against you will prosper. That's in the same text of promise. Church, the enemy will use your past mistakes mixed with your fear of failing, and use it to cause you to put off what God has asked you to do. And here's one for you. Satan will allow you to be at the battlefield, but he will keep you from being in the battle. Ask yourself today, believer, are you standing at the edge of the battlefield, or are you in the battle? It takes courage, it takes motivation to be in the battle. And you know, the fear of failure is something, and it's a giant that we all will wrestle with. We all will wrestle with that. Make no mistake about it. The greatest, your greatest idol of a preacher if you have one. If not weekly, I'm sure at least every month has the fear of failure. I remember one preacher saying to me, when his ministry grew, he says the expectation that he felt every week to perform nearly destroyed him. See, the fear of failure is a real thing to each and every man and woman of God. Have courage. So be motivated. Have courage. Then the last one. The third discipline is this. And I make no mistake about it. It's value the Lord's work. Value the Lord's work, church. Love and care for the Lord's people and the Lord's work. What I see here is that David kept down two jobs, yet he took time to care for his brethren. Listen to the words of his father. Take now for thy brethren a measure of grain and check on your brother's welfare. David carried a love for the Lord's people and he carried a love for the Lord's work. What an example for the church to follow in these days. David obeyed the father. He put others before himself. Despite ridicule, he took down Goliath and protected his brethren. He could have just left them till it. He could have let them lie there and be mocked. He chose to protect them. In Philippians 2 and 4, it says this, that each of you look not only onto his own interests, but also onto the interests of others. Galatians 6 says, bear in one another's burdens. James says something profound. Faith without works is dead. I don't know what your history of the canon of Scripture is, but the book of James nearly never got into the Scripture because of them very words. Faith without works is dead. You see, the Reformation come in and there was a challenge of the very thought. It's not our works that saves us, indeed it's not. But any man or woman who's saved and born again of God will have works. Works that will prove their salvation, will show their salvation to the world. Lastly, and we're really, we are nearly finished, one simple observation, which I could not leave, but it's very important in ministry. 
And that's this caring, caring for the Lord's work. And in verse 20, we read this. And David rose early in the morning, and he left his sheep with a keeper. Church, don't just be part of the work. Look after it. Don't just be part of the Lord's work, but look after it. There's nothing worse than people not just turning up or ministries poorly run to the disglory and dishonor of God. Don't just be part of the work. Value it and look after it. David rose early in the morning to go about the father's business and he left the sheep with a keeper. What I see here is David was a responsible servant. He had responsibilities both in his service in Saul's court and in shepherding his father's flock. He had two jobs. But David didn't just not turn up to serve in the court or to tend to his father's flock. He got someone to look after his responsibilities until he got back. Church, let us not only answer the call, but be responsible in the call. Amen? Isn't that fair enough? Let us be responsible in the call. Simply put, if we are not unable to be there, let us make sure that the work goes on and we get somebody to fill in for us that we just do not turn up. God willing, in August, I'm going away for a few weeks myself. God forbid that I just wouldn't turn up, church. I've already got provision in place. And, and let us not only be part of the work, but be a people who look after the work. Amen. Amen. He's, he's listened very well this morning. The Lord bless us.